going to share with us our first scripture reading this morning. Good morning. I'm going to be reading out of Psalms 138, page 973 in your pew Bible. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. I will give thee thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to thee before the gods. I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word according to thy name. On the day I called... Thou didst answer me. Thou didst make me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to thee, O Lord. When they have heard the words of of thy mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord. For thy great is the glory of the Lord. For thou, the Lord, is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies. And thy right hand will save me. The, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of thy hands. I invite Sharon to come forward to read our gospel reading for this morning. Today's second reading is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It can be found on page 1613 in your pew Bible. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that you would meet us where we are. Each of us, oh God, carries with us so much joy and sorrow, pain and gladness. God, we know that you have promised to meet us, but to not leave us where you found us. By your grace, we will be sustained. We'll find mercy that's new each day. We'll find a love that surrounds us and will not let us go. And so, God, we come this morning throwing ourselves on that mercy and grace, that love. Oh, God, meet us where we are. But for your glory and for our good, do not leave us where you found us. Fill us with your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in seminary, I was seeing a, um, a spiritual director. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the ministry of, of spiritual direction, those are folks who've been trained to really uh, accompany somebody, to sit with them and to, to ask questions, to help them open up their expansive spiritual sight to see God at work in their lives and to see how God is is moving. And so I would sit in this little home office of an Episcopal priest in Summit, New Jersey. And she and I would sit there and we would talk about spiritual things and she would ask me um, questions. You ever have somebody ask you a question and you realize that they just saw through all of the stuff that you put up and they got right to the core of it all, right to the heart. Almost every question she would ask was that kind of a question. And it was just such an incredible time we would spend together for an hour every week. But I came to her with what I felt was a problem. Here I was, training for ordained ministry, and I felt like I did not know how to pray. Can any of you relate to that feeling of not knowing how to pray, of of feeling that your prayer life is inadequate, that perhaps the, the words don't come easily, or this connection, this intimacy that you, you hope to foster with God through prayer just, just doesn't seem to come to you? Well, I would sit with her and I would talk and I would bemoan what I felt to be this uh, absent prayer life. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I had tried, you know, the daily prayer, written prayers, liturgy. I had tried extemporaneous prayers. I would just converse with God. And to me, all of it sort of felt like it was falling flat. So I met with her and we would talk about prayer. And I'd sit and she would be uh, so gracious and patiently listen. And she'd ask me those good questions. 
Well, finally, one day I was sitting in her office, and I remember it was springtime, because I was looking out her window, and I was watching the buds start to open up on this beautiful birch tree that was just outside of that window. And I was talking about uh, just feeling like I was dead in my prayer life, like uh, I felt like the disciple who came to Jesus. Lord, teach us how to pray. So finally there, uh, she looked at me and she said, Evan, what makes you come alive? And I thought about that question for a few minutes. I, and then I, I don't for the life of me remember at all what I said. But I remember what happened after I said what I said. After I answered that question, she looked at me and she said, when you responded to that question, everything about you changed. She said, your body language, your tone of voice, you were excited. You, you sat up differently. There was passion and enthusiasm. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She said, that's prayer. She said, and I forget what I had said in response to that, but she said, Evan, God has given you gifts, passions, things to enjoy. And when you use those, when you enjoy them, that is prayer. Because you are offering back to God... A gift. You're using what He gave you. And that is prayer. <gasps> that changed my whole spiritual life that moment. It blew the, the, the lid off this box in which I had been so tightly containing prayer. And expecting it to look and to feel a certain way. And to find that freedom. That when we are filled with joy and passion, when we enjoy life and things and those around us, we are utilizing the gifts that God has given us, and that is a prayer of thanksgiving to Almighty God. How beautiful that was. How freeing, how liberating that was to hear that. Well, that was 13, 14 years ago when we sat on that spring day and had that conversation. Now, I have to tell you, my prayer life did change, but it also has these ebb and flow moments where it waxes and wanes. Have any of you felt that too? Maybe you've had a time where you have felt the prayers just flow freely. And you're communing with God, and God is communing with you. And then maybe you have dry spells, where it feels like prayers are just flung into this great emptiness, and there's no response. Well, a disciple comes to Jesus... Because what was Jesus doing? He was praying. And a disciple came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see Jesus over and over again in the Gospels praying, which might strike us as a bit odd because Jesus, we confess by faith, is fully God and fully human. So why would Jesus need to pray? Well, I think, friends, one of the reasons Jesus prays is to model for us what a life of communion with God can look like. And the disciples see this. They come to Jesus, and one of them says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then we have Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is a, a bit of a truncated version compared to the one that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but we find a similar form here. And what I want to do this morning is, I think that we can pull out four 
principles for prayer from this segment that Luke records of the Lord's Prayer. First of all, he begins with what? When you pray, say, Father. Prayer, friends, is intimate and personal. It's intimate and personal. God is not addressed by a title. You could go into the Old Testament and you can find all sorts of titles that mirror God's attributes. He's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, El Shaddai. All those wonderful things that get at a part of how God chooses to reveal himself and relate to creation and to the created world and to human beings. Jesus says, Father. That seems to just cut through so much and get right to the core of relationship. When you pray, say, Father. Prayer, friends, is intimate and personal. To me, there's one major defining characteristic that sets Christianity apart from any other religion that we might find in the world. If you were to approach other religions, we see this particular system of reaching up toward God, of striving, of attaining, of trying to reach this level of spiritual insight or to do that. In Christianity, we have something that's altogether different. In Christianity, we find God taking the initiative to reach down to us. And in doing so, He reveals this desire for relationship. And we see in that title, that phrase, that single word that begins this prayer, Father. This sense of intimacy and connection. Prayer is intimate. And personal. We can pray to God. We can interact with God on a relational basis. Secondly, prayer contains two things. And we see it here in this example that Jesus gives us. Prayer is praise and petition. Praise and petition. As we move through the prayer, what is the next line? Father, hallowed... Be your name. In other words, holy be your name. And in that verb be, there's a sense of action. Be is an action verb. So there's something in our prayer where we desire God's name to be holy. Now, let us not mistake that God's holiness is totally dependent on our prayers. That is not true at all. God is holy regardless of who, what, when, where, and how we pray. But... The point is that through our prayers, through this life of communion, of intimacy with the Father, that we have an opportunity to bring a sense of holiness to God and to all that God is. So that's the praise part. And it begins with praise. I think the order in this example that Jesus gives us is of utmost importance. It does not begin with, Father, I really need this. Father, would you help out so-and-so? Not that those are uh, non-important prayers, but the prayer begins with this sense of praise and worship to God. So prayer is praise, and then prayer is also petition. After we see that section, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
Now, I'm going by Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer here, which is a little bit different than the prayer we recite. As I said, it's, it's shorter. Your kingdom come, give us each day our what? Our daily bread. In that prayer, that petition, right? Because now we're moving to this request for God, of asking God to meet us, to help us, to do something for us. God, give us today our daily bread. What's a word in that line of petition that sticks out to you? Daily, today. You know what Jesus doesn't instruct them to pray? God, uh, give us what we need two weeks from now. Give us our bread today and tomorrow and the next day. And no, give us today. Just what we need for today. Be our sustenance. Meet us where we are. Carry us through just for the moment. There's a sense of total dependence on God. Just for today. Give us today our daily bread. So we find in this prayer, praise and petition. And the order is important. Let's not put petition before praise. Thirdly, this model prayer that Jesus gives us reveals to us that prayer is both an individual and a corporate endeavor. Now by corporate, I mean all of us gathered here. We're the body of Christ. We come together and worship Prayer is important. It's part of what we do when we get together and worship, isn't it? Prayer is important. But prayer is also an individual exercise as well. Listen again to the words here in the prayer. Give who? Give us. Can we pray, give me my daily bread? Sure. But there's something in this prayer that that calls to mind God's people gathered together. Give us this day our daily bread. God, as a, as a church, corporately together, meet us where we are. Give us our daily bread. So we find in the language of this prayer that prayer can be both individual. We can come before God anytime, place. The author of Hebrews indicates that to us, that we have this great high priest, Jesus Christ, who because of what he has done for us, we have access to commune with him anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Prayer is individual. Prayer is also corporate. And I believe that both need to go together. We need to pray individually in our own places, on our way to work, at work, Driving home, maybe especially when we're driving, because I was in some traffic the other day, and God knows that my attitude may have been a little bit different if I'd started praying. Prayer is individual, and it's corporate. When God's people get together, we pray. Finally, we see something in this model prayer Jesus gives us. We found that it's intimate and personal. There's praise and petition. It's individual and corporate. Prayer is also passive and participatory. Passive and participatory. What do I mean by that? Well, as I said, when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, God is holy regardless of what we do. So there is this sense that, that, that prayer and the things that happen through prayer, they're not totally dependent on us. 
We, prayer is not a magical incantation where we, we pray things in a certain way, use certain words, pray at certain times, and we'll get what we want. God is not a proverbial genie in a bottle. That's not how prayer works, friends. So in that sense, prayer is passive, but prayer is also participatory. The primary actor here is important. God is the one who always is working, who always takes the initiative to work for good in the world, regardless of what we do. However, the the offer is always there, the call to us is always there to join with what God is doing in the world. God's kingdom doesn't come or go with us. God's kingdom is present here and now. We are called to join and to help reveal God to a needy, waiting world around us. That's how prayer is participatory. The last bit of that prayer that Jesus offers us, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So we have received forgiveness from God. Not through our own efforts, Paul says in Ephesians 2. Not that anything we have done. By opening ourselves up through faith to what God has done, we receive forgiveness. So in that sense, we are passive participants. But when we receive that forgiveness, we are then called to be active participants. Because we have been forgiven, we are to be people through in everything we say or do. We bring God's forgiveness into the world as we forgive others. Friends, I don't know of a more difficult task than to be a person of forgiveness. Oh, isn't it easy to hold on to things that others have said and done to us? It can be hard to forgive. It can be hard to let go of our own desire for revenge or to see scores settled. Our, our own human desires for what we perceive justice to be. Forgiveness, friends, doesn't mean that, you know, if, if Bill has hurt me, that I go to him and I tell him that and I tell him I forgive him. That's not necessarily what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is this. You see my hands? That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not allowing what another person has done to define you. Forgiveness is not letting another person's bitterness or anger, abuse, hurtful words, to have a place of control in your life. Forgiveness is this incredibly powerful act where you regain who you are in light of Christ. You begin to live into this identity of how God sees you. Refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. (laughs) Friends, I can recall in my life people that I know who have... Forgiveness has been so difficult. And I'm not saying forgiving is easy. That can be one of the most painful journeys that we'll ever undertake. It really can be. But friends, I know folks who have refused to forgive... And I have seen them, sometimes almost like their bodies are literally consumed by bitterness and anger. 
God calls us to something different. We've been forgiven. When we were unforgivable, there is one who forgave us. There is one whose love came into our lives. And before we could love, before we even had a sense of what that means and how that looks, there's someone who loved us, who forgave us, and who calls us to actively work to be people of forgiveness in the world around us. To show people that there's another way. That we don't have to be defined by what we have done or what has been done to us. That we're defined by how God sees us. And that is forgiven, loved people who represent Him and bear His image into the world. Prayer is passive and participatory. And this section on prayer ends... By Jesus, who use, he uses two examples. He uses uh, requests given to a friend and then requests given to a parent, to a father. And he says, listen, you care about your friends. Fathers, you care about your children. All this relational language and these images used here, the point is, how much more will God love you and care for you and be the one who will respond when you ask? If you take care of a friend, if a father takes care of a child, how much more does God want to and will God meet you where you are and answer your prayers? Friends, as we become people of prayer, don't depend on how you feel. When I would go to my spiritual director years ago, my language, the way that I was perceiving and understanding prayer was so much based on feeling. I didn't feel it. But there's something to what a hero of mine, Eugene Peterson, who is a a Presbyterian pastor, he calls, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. It's getting up morning after morning, drinking your coffee, putting your clothes on, doing the routine of your day, communing with God, doing it even if you don't feel like it, but you get up and you do it anyway. And he found that there's something in the doing that can often lead to the feeling. There's something in the doing that can lead to the feeling. That the... the, The habit, the habitual nature of prayer, of a spiritual life, of day by day by day, doing what we may feel is mundane, is actually forming us into a particular kind of people. Maybe you don't feel it as you pray day after day. And then maybe you have a moment of reckoning in your life. And you find that you're a different person that you would have been weeks, months, years ago. A habit of prayer can form us into particular people. Be people of prayer. Use Jesus' prayer that's given to us as a model. That prayer is intimate and personal. In prayer, we find both praise and petition. Prayer is something that we do individually, and together as a body of Christ. And finally, prayer is passive in that 
We don't make or break God. God is who God is despite us. But because of what God has done for us, there's a call to live into our spiritual lives, to go into the world, to be people who embody the forgiveness that's been made known to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, let us be people of prayer. Amen.